0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Joy Challenge. Discover the ancient secret to experiencing worry defeating, circumstance defying happiness. Written by pastor and best selling author Randy Frazee and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Common ground feels extremely hard to come by today. Everyone's telling us how divided we are, and honestly, you can see it no matter where you look. But if there's one thing that we can all agree on, one thing that could bring us all together and have us sing and celebrate, I think it's freedom. freedom. You got to give what you take. freedom. It just sounds like good news. And it is. So, why is it that the idea of freedom is so complicated? If it's for freedom that Christ has set us free, then why does our faith feel like a restrictive set of rules? Why is it so hard to feel the freedom Jesus is talking about? And why is it the more that we look at Christian freedom, the more it looks like a responsibility? I'm Drew, and this is Christian Ease. States, freedom or liberty is sacred. Our rights, whether felt or actual, we feel are God-given. And anyone who comes and tries to take those rights away from us is not only acting against us, but sometimes maybe the will of God. But very rarely in our political conversations do we stop and wonder about what freedom is. And I know that sounds kind of stupid to say, but how would you define freedom? The ability to do what you want? The ability to act within your beliefs? The divine and governmentally protected right to live happily? We all might define it a little bit differently, but we think of freedom or liberty as the ability to think, feel, and do as we please. An unrestrictedness to life. But even that definition is a little wonky. So let's all get on the same page with some exciting technical language. Liberty, as we understand it, really didn't start to be talked about in philosophy until about the 17th century, when people started to think about governmental forms outside of monarchies. One of these men, a philosopher named Thomas Hobbes, who was one of the great inspirers of both the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, defined a free man as he that in those things which by his strength and wit he is able to do, is not hindered to do what he has a will to. In other words, a free person is someone who can do whatever they want as long as no one else is stopping them. That sounds a lot like how we think and talk about freedom today. And while it may feel, well, liberating to think that we are only bound by our imagination, that's not our reality. As more philosophers began to examine the idea of liberty, the scope of our freedoms began to shrink. First, most notably with Claude Adrian Helvetius' idea of natural rights. He wrote, It's no lack of freedom not to fly like an eagle or swim like a whale. In other words, just because you can imagine a freedom doesn't mean that you have that freedom. You are free to do the things by your strength, wit, and ability as long as no one is hindering you, and you have the natural ability or natural right to do that thing. Over the next 300 years, the idea of freedom gets really complicated. Hegel gets involved and, well, no one wants to get involved with Hegel. So for both the sake of time and our sanity, I'm going to jump ahead to the 1950s to a lecture given by Isaiah Berlin called The Two Concepts of Liberty. Whenever you or I talk about freedom, there's two different ways we have to think about it, our negative and our positive liberty negative liberty is what we are free from the external restraints which bind us positive liberty is the freedom to it is the power and resources to act within our natural rights or social limitations to do those things which we are able to do to fulfill our potential as long as our circumstances and our society allows for it now i know that's a lot of philosophy But here's why the philosophy matters. We tend to think of freedom as only our positive liberty, what we're able to do. And when we think of freedom only as potential, well, the sky's the limit. The problem is that in the West, we tie our potential, our freedom, to our happiness. We all can imagine a future version of ourselves that's better off than we are today. And we think that if we can get there, then we will be satisfied. But we don't often think about our negative liberty, those things that restrain us. Sure, we may not have a monarch or a tyrant controlling our lives, but that doesn't mean there aren't things that restrict our capabilities. And I'm not even talking about things like you can't fly like Superman. Sometimes the weather rains out a party, The flight to our vacation is canceled, or the vacation request is denied. Gas prices go up, and suddenly a road trip is not something that we can afford to do. Our health takes a turn for the worst. We're not in control of our circumstances, so if potential guides our happiness, if the happy you is the future you, then we're rudderless ships in an open sea, hoping that a random wind will take us where we want to go. But it's not just things outside of our control that constrain our freedom. We willfully give away a lot of freedom for the benefit of others in our society. Laws essentially are a restraining of certain freedoms so that everyone might be better off. We all agree that you can't steal your neighbor's car or hurt someone just because you feel like it. You have the freedom of speech, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater or commit libel or slander A lot of things we agree that underneath the freedom of speech are out of bounds. And beyond that, if you want to have relationships with people, you have to live in such a way that you maintain peace with them. While it may be legal to have an affair on your spouse, if you want to maintain your relationship with them, you should deny yourself that freedom. There's a degree of goodness, of peace, of happiness, that actually requires us to cede freedom, to deny ourselves the desire to act and do whatever we feel like. If we can only be happy when we live like we please, with absolute freedom and liberty to do what we want, then we can only be happy when we're in the most control of every situation, where there's no one to question us, no one to challenge us, no one to ask us for a favor, where there's no rules, no regulations, where you are free to live out the absolute desires of your heart the only place that exists is where you're completely alone. There's something about us that understands that we're better off not totally free. That a world with laws and rules is better off than one without. That a world with loved ones is better than a world of isolation the philosophical discussion about liberty started when philosophers and scientists and societies were trying to break the shackles of former generations. But the more they looked and talked and wrote about it, the more they realized that absolute freedom is a fantasy, and that we both as individuals and societies are better off when we willfully restrict that freedom that we have. So here's the tension. We all want to be free from restraint, to practice negative liberty. But there is a point that we have to rein ourselves in. It would be great to eat ice cream every single night, but that's not going to be the best thing for our health. It would be great to just live selfishly, but that's not going to help us in relationships. Sometimes the best restraints are the ones that we willfully take on. We all want to maximize our positive liberty, to make sure that we have the opportunities and the resources to meet our full potential. But at the same time, some of the people that we admire most in society are those that give away their resources, their time, their energy, and their money so that other people can reach their potential. For many of us, our heroes are not the Kardashians. It's the person in your life who quietly gave themselves for your good to absolutely no acclaim at all. And this is where we come to Christian liberty. It's not unusual in our society, or even within the church for that matter, to see Christianity as a list of rules and regulations, just another way to erode our personal freedoms. We're largely known as a group of people who don't do certain things, who dislike particular behaviors. So if you want to enjoy your life, if you want to experience true freedom, why on earth would you be a Christian? But when you read the Bible, that's not the case at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite. If you've been redeemed by Christ, you're one of the freest people on the face of the earth. In John chapter 8, starting in verse 31, Then Jesus said to the Judeans who had believed him, If you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they replied, and never have been anyone's slaves. How can you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, I tell you the solemn truth. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the family forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. Titus 3.3 says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, misled, enslaved to the various passions and desires, spending our lives in evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us in full measure through Christ Jesus our Savior. And so, since we've been justified by His grace, we become heirs with the confident expectation of eternal life. Galatians 4, starting in verse 3. So also we, when we were helpless, were enslaved under the basic forces of the world. But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, who calls Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you're also an heir through God. Skipping ahead to chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. If you spend any amount of time in the New Testament, you quickly realize that it's not just a list of rules and things that you're supposed to do. It's an announcement of freedom. Living apart from God and doing whatever you want may sound nice, but that's not freedom. You're enslaved to sin, bound to an idol, which is just a spiritual word for something that we worship that is not God. And if you don't know God, you don't have a choice but to worship those things, But because they're not God, they can't give you the things that only He can. You're bound to them. And we all worship something. Whatever is most important to you, whatever calls the shots in your life, even if you don't call it God, it functions in that way. You could be serving your future self. You could be serving your heart, which you believe will always lead you in the right direction. Comfort, security, approval, attention, the acceptance of someone, a soulmate, But whatever you're seeking in that idol, it can't deliver what only God can, which is why God starts with giving us negative liberty, freeing us from the enslavement to sin, and giving us the opportunity to fulfill our created potential in following Him. And so we come to the question that a lot of the New Testament is about what do we do with this newfound freedom? You have a choice. Are you going to go back and serve your old idol? Or are you going to turn and serve the God that rescued you? We like to think of freedom as unencumbered self-determination. I get to choose who I am. Freedom. But that's just self-worship. You're not free. you're just serving yourself as if you were God. You're still serving someone. Well it may be the devil And it may be the Lord but you're gonna have to serve somebody. In Romans chapter 6, Paul puts it this way. You are slaves of the one you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. What benefit did you reap from those things that you're now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, freed from sin and enslaved to God, You have your benefit leading to sanctification, and the end is eternal life. The payoff of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's really easy to think of the Christian life as just a bunch of rules. You get a religious tag on your social media, you have a standing appointment to hang out and sing with some people on Sunday morning, and you gotta do certain things. But if that's how you see the Christian life, you're missing the big picture. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to experience life eternally and full life today. He created the world. He created you. And is saying, here is the best way to live. The way that's going to give you joy and make your life flourish. If you want to experience God, if you want to know his full life today, you have to obey him. In today's culture, obedience is a dirty word. And we're all skeptical of authorities for the way that they've abused their power, especially in the church. But God is not trying to trick you. He's not holding out freedom in one hand and hiding boredom and responsibility behind his back. He is with both hands saying, I want to show you freedom. You were created to follow and serve me. And I'm telling you, that's where you're going to find the most joy, the most happiness and the most blessing. And so you have a decision. Who are you going to serve? It's a once and for all decision you make when you accept christ but as a christian it's a daily decision you have to make sometimes hourly sometimes minute by minute am i going to go back to what i used to worship or am i going to trust god but you're also not alone god has given you his people a community and he tells us not to just serve him but to serve one another there's over 30 different commands in the new testament alone telling us how we should treat and serve each other. So while the first question you have to answer is, am I going to serve God? The second question is, am I going to serve myself or the people around me? So to end this episode, I'm going to talk about what you may have thought this whole episode was going to be about. The gray areas of life, the things that aren't illegal in our country, that the Bible doesn't specifically prohibit, that aren't called wise or unwise in scripture, all the things in between that we have to figure out. Things like deciding political party, figuring out what movies and TV shows we should watch, what music we should listen to, how should we educate our kids, and the sort of things Christian college kids debate a lot. What does dating look like? Is it okay if I drink alcohol or smoke? And a lot of times when we have these conversations, they're about justifying ourselves, defending why we can do certain things. And then we also get pretty judgmental of others who disagree with us. So while each of these topics may be worth a podcast of their own, in general, our approach to these gray areas is really simple and really straightforward. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Your first inclination should not be to use your freedom for your own benefit, but to use it to love others. Ah, you say, but I have the freedom in Christ to do these things. You can't tell me what to do. Okay, then listen to what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul says, just because everything is lawful doesn't mean everything is beneficial. And just because everything is lawful doesn't mean that it's going to serve others. When faced with a gray area, ask yourself, am I serving myself and trying to defend my own liberty, or am I serving someone else? Because we shouldn't be self-seeking, we should have the heart of Christ in us, like Philippians 2.3 says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should, in humility, be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. You should be considerate and serve others, but also, you do not have the liberty to disregard someone else's relationship with God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Corinthian church was debating whether or not they could eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And in response, Paul said, Now food will not bring us close to God, or no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. But be careful that this liberty of yours does not become a hindrance to the weak. For if someone weak sees you who possess knowledge dining in an idol's temple, Will not his conscience be strengthened to eat food offered to idols? So by your knowledge, the weak brother or sister, a person for whom Christ died, is destroyed. If you sin against your brother or sisters in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. For this reason, if food causes my brother or sister to sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I may not cause one of them to sin. In the gray areas of life, you have to ask yourself, Am I serving others or am I serving myself? And if this thing is not going to bring me closer to God, but might cause someone else to move further from Him, why would I even do it? That's not a liberty. It's an opportunity to restrict your freedom so that someone else can flourish. You have an incredible amount of freedom. The question is, How are you going to use it? Are you going to serve God or go back to idols? Are you going to serve others, or are you going to serve yourself? How will you use your freedom? Well, choose who you're going to serve.